welcome to the Living Worship Podcast. I'm so glad that you are here again this week and looking forward to what we're about to get into. Um, we're doing a survey this week over John chapters 18 and 19, um, really focusing mostly on 19, although um, 18 covers um, the prayers that Jesus prayed for you and for me and for the disciples and for the world and for himself as he is about to suffer agony and persecution. Um, but mostly for this time, for this study, we're going to be looking at the actual um, trial and death of Jesus. And next week we'll get to the crucifixion and the ascension and what uh, the Apostle John had to tell us um, through the Gospel of John. All right, and so, um, but just to give us a recap, right? So Jesus prays for his disciples and for all believers. He um, is in the Garden of Gethsemane in the midst of this. He is betrayed by Judas, who sold Jesus out for silver. And Judas expected some deception on Jesus's part. And so he told the Pharisees, I will prove to you this it's Jesus because I'm going to kiss him. So he kisses Jesus on the cheek. Uh, the soldiers and the Pharisees and everyone who was there to get Jesus knew for sure that was the teacher. That was Jesus. Peter gets angry, pulls out his sword, uh, starts... Um, trying to fight back, ends up cutting the ear off of Malchus, one of the Roman soldiers. Um, Jesus heals the ear of this man. And he tells Peter, you know, you're sending the wrong kind of message, dude. We need to respect and love our enemies until death, right? And so Peter had some growing and some maturing still to do. So they take Jesus, Peter, and the other disciples. They scatter and hide. Uh, Jesus told them that it was going to happen. They did not believe it. And of course, Jesus was right. And, and so Jesus is brought to um, Annas and Caiaphas, who were the high priest. Um, and then they were. he was given to Pilate. Uh, Pilate was the Roman politician who um, ruled over this area. And... Pilate really wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He didn't see that Jesus had actually broken any kind of law, which we know, of course, he didn't. And he really held no interest for it. And then his wife actually ended up telling him, don't have anything to do with this Jesus of Nazareth. Let him go. Well, he tried to do that on a few occasions. And the Pharisees and the other teachers of the law and all the other authorities who were there, the mob, wanted Jesus dead at all costs, even to the point where they insist that Pilate release Barabbas, a convicted murderer, over Jesus. So that's what happens. So let's go to John chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Um, Pilate has had to make his decision as a politician, and of course, as a politician, he wants to be liked. Um, and he doesn't want to overcomplicate his job. So if Jesus needs to die to keep his job simple, that seems to be the way that he went, even though he did try to release Jesus on a few occasions. And so uh, Pilate takes Jesus, verse 1, and he has him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here's the man. 
When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! And skipping over to verses 10 and 11, it says, So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. See, Jesus, it's not that he was being quiet um, because he thought he was better than Pilate or he was resigned to his fate necessarily. It's that he'd already given Pilate and the Pharisees and all the teachers all the information they needed. He's already told them that he was the Messiah. Don't forget that just the week prior, he rode into town on a donkey in such a manner that it proclaimed himself the Messiah, the King of the Jews. But they were all ignoring that. They didn't care. Pilate probably wasn't even aware that that happened, except in passing, maybe. But the Pharisees, obviously, it was a big deal to them. And so he, at this point, he's given them the truth. He's not going to repeat himself. So you know the truth, and you know what you're going to do. Just go ahead and do it. Be done with this. And he, he, Jesus tells him in verse 11, then, you have no authority over me. Those who handed you handed me over to you, those are the ones who has the greater sin right now. It's the Pharisees and the other teachers and the leaders who want Jesus dead so bad. They're the ones that put Jesus on that cross. Some preachers will wrongly try and tell you that the same mob, the same crowd that welcomed Jesus is the same crowd that crucified him, when that's historically simply not true. Um, I really doubt there were any people in either crowd um, that were in both times. You know what I mean? Like there was might be some people who were um, against Jesus being crucified nearby. Um, but the nature of the parade that Jesus had, it doesn't make sense um, for those two crowds to be the exact same crowd. It's actually pretty clear in the text that the crowd who uh, gave Jesus this parade, um, they were the believers and the seekers, the ones who wanted to believe, the ones who wanted to know Jesus. But the crowd, the Jews, as John calls them, he's using it derogatorily um, to talk about the Pharisees and the other religious leaders who Jesus was a threat to their power. And so um, when Jesus was handed over, he said, they're the ones who are murdering me. They're the ones who bear the greater sin. And notice he doesn't say that Pilate is going to be let off the hook. Pilate's still sinning too. But see, Pilate wasn't under Jewish law. Pilate had no reason uh, to be aware of a Jewish Messiah on any kind of intellectual, personal level. He was a Roman who worshipped the Roman pantheon. There was a lot more that Pilate needed to know. Um, to realize who Jesus was and how important he was. So notice, Pilate's not being let off the hook, but Jesus says it's mostly their responsibility here. And in verses 17 and 18, it says, Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. So in the midst of this, notice that Jesus had total awareness and control over the situation. He says ultimately it's God's authority that this is for, that this is happening. It's not 
just that God did it on a whim either. He's doing it, and Jesus is choosing to do it uh, for your sake and for my sake, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be made complete and whole in God, that the brokenness that exists within us because of sin being introduced to the world, so that it can finally start to be mended again, and so that we have this bridge with God that we haven't had since the Garden of Eden. And Jesus is making a way for that. He's providing for the atonement, and he's providing a way for the reconciliation then. And so he chose to be tortured and killed for us. Let's keep reading. Uh, John 19, verses 19 and 20. It says, Pilate also had a sign made, and he put it on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So Pilate wrote this, Jesus, king of the Jews, in three languages. And the Pharisees did not like this. The Pharisees wanted it to say something along the lines of, here is Jesus who says he's king of the Jews. But Pilate wrote, Jesus, king of the Jews. Because he was. Not necessarily that Pilate believed that. But he was. It was prophetic in nature. And God used not even an unbeliever, but someone who didn't even believe in the Jewish faith. He was totally outside of it. And God used him. And not just in one language. In the three major languages of this day. See, Jerusalem was a major city. It wasn't just the capital of Jerusalem. Even though that is hugely important, but that was also a hub of trade. It was a very important place in the ancient world. So the fact that it was written in three languages meant that everybody could see it, read it, and understand it. So we can almost look at this as like the first gospel tract. And if you've never seen one, I'm sure you've seen one. They're like these little pamphlets, these little leaflets that... Um, have the gospel on them. Sometimes they have a cartoon or the Romans Road or something. Um, I don't know how much they get passed out anymore. Most people that I see um, aren't interested in reading something that's handed to them, at least randomly. Uh, but we normally have them in our churches and, and on the wall somewhere. So in case you want to pick one up and read it, it's there. This is kind of like the first one that ever existed. And so you've got the language of religion in Hebrew where this is written. And you've got the language of the law, which would have been Latin. And then you've got it written in the language of Greek, which was the language of philosophy, the language of Aristotle, and, and, and all of that. And this is all tied in together because God is Lord over all of these things. He's Lord over the religion. He's Lord over the law. He's Lord over philosophy. Everything originates with God. He is the creator. And so Jesus is king over all people. And that's even just represented in the fact that it was written in three languages above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. All right, now let's look at verses 28 through 30 and 35. It says, After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, and so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He who saw this has testified so that you may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling 
the truth. So Jesus on the cross, not just suffering a horrible, brutal, physical death, but also suffering an even more brutal spiritual death in the midst of this because he's taking on the entire sin of the world on his shoulders all at once. And in this one great act, Jesus defeated death once and for all, for all time. And all we have to do is just believe, put our faith and trust that Jesus is God as he claimed and that he did what he set out to do and that he came back to life from the dead. That this actually happened. Death and sin have now been defeated and it is finished, and mankind can finally be restored to God. Notice that Jesus declares it to be over. He doesn't let death have the final word. He's the one who's saying, it is finished. And then he willingly gives up his spirit, and then it's over. Jesus was 100% human. No doubt he suffered. No doubt he was in agony. But he was also 100% God, which meant he had total control. And it was still worth it to go through all of that for me and for you. Verses 38 through 42, and then we'll wrap it up. It says, After this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture about 75 pounds worth of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to the burial custom of the time. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed inside. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby. So Joseph and Nicodemus, and we know Nicodemus very well, because back in chapter 3, he was the Pharisee who secretly came to find Jesus and ask some really deep questions about who Jesus was and why he came. And he's been keeping his faith in Jesus secret for who knows how long. And now him and Joseph step up, they step out, they come out of the shadows, and they bury Jesus. There's a brand new tomb. Joseph owns the tomb. It's near where the cross of Christ was. And so he takes the body. And he buries Jesus. And everyone thinks it's over. But me and you, we know better. It wasn't over. There was so much more to this story. Because not only did Jesus atone for our sins through his death, but he came back to life and he defeated death once and for all, proving that he was who he said he was. He really is God. And he really does care. And he really does love you. That's what this is saying. There are um, speakers and preachers out there who will go into... Um, gory details of what the crucifixion would have been like. You can watch The Passion of the Christ by Mel Brooks. You can do all your kinds of research into the crucifixion, but ultimately, is that going to be enough to convince you uh, that this is important? I don't know. I don't know. 
I can tell you throughout most of history, most people didn't need all that. They just needed to know that God came down to earth and died so that they wouldn't have to. This life is temporary and we are broken. We are sinful, depraved people. The, the Bible is very clear about that and beyond just the Bible, take a look around. We are seriously messed up. But that's why Christ came, because we're messed up and we need a savior. And he's already come. He's um, gone, ascended into heaven for 2,000 years now, and I, I believe it could be any time where he comes back. And that's, that's a study for another time. And the Bible even doesn't give us an exact date for his return because God doesn't want us to procrastinate. We need to make a decision for or against Christ as our Lord and Savior today and commit to it. Are you going to commit to it? Here are some things we can pull out of the text. Our sin is forgiven when we can trust that what Jesus did on the cross is enough. Understanding that it was more than just a physical death, it was a spiritual death. And both of them were brutal and terrible. And it was enough. Number two, just like Jesus lived and died sacrificially for us, giving up everything for us, we should be living the same way for other people, putting ourselves aside and choosing him and choosing others. Thanks for joining the Living Worship Podcast. I've been getting more comments recently, um, and so I really appreciate that. I appreciate the feedback always. Um, please like, share, subscribe, get the word out that this is going on. I know that there are um, plenty of YouTubers and podcasters out there um, who like um, talking about the Bible and, um, you know, presenting messages in this kind of way. Uh, but biblical exposition is really where God has called me to. He's led me into this uh, podcasting ministry. And I know there's a reason for it. And I'm sure there is someone out there who doesn't have this, who hasn't been listening to this, probably is a, totally unaware that this exists, that needs this. And you know who they are. So please get this to them. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.